Ja. Elise, can you bring me my Bible? Jeremiah, I think it's 32. Jeremiah 32. Anybody need a Bible? If you do, raise your hand. Okay, Jeremiah 32. Before we begin, let's pray. Father, we just, uh, again, we thank you for your word. I pray that you'd open it up for us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Jeremiah 32, going through the Bible on Sunday evenings, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. It says in verse 1, the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the 10th year of Zedekiah, king of Judah, which was the 18th year of Nebuchadnezzar. So again, Zedekiah, the last king of Israel to reign before the country was actually destroyed and undone by the Babylonians. About 400 years earlier, the first king, King Saul, the nation at one point had a civil war divided up into a northern and southern kingdom. The northern kingdom uh, just went its own way. The word is apostatized. It just rejected the Lord, began to worship foreign gods. There were uh, prophets sent to the kings of the northern kingdom, Elijah, Elisha, and others. They didn't listen to them, and eventually they were overrun by the Assyrians. The Assyrians took them out to really countries all over the world. And then the remaining two tribes, Judah and Benjamin in the south, uh, which included Jerusalem, uh, were in existence for another 150 years. And there were good kings in in Judah, and there were bad kings uh, in Judah. And, uh, but things really, really began to go downhill in the last 100 years under a king called Manasseh. Again, prophets would come. Isaiah, one of them. It, It is believed that Isaiah was actually executed by Manasseh. Prophets warning them, look, do you think that somehow you are immune from the same thing that happened in the north? You don't think that the Lord is going to maintain his name, which includes justice? You think he's just going to ignore what's going on here? And uh, the Lord was so faithful. We've already read in Jeremiah, sending the prophets early in the morning, every day, just repeatedly over and over and over again. And uh, they ignored it. And so um, here we are in the 10th year of Zedekiah, king of Judah. He only reigned 10, 10, 11 years. So he's, he's just about to be defeated. It says in verse 2, for, the, for then the king of Babylon's army besieged Jerusalem. In other words, the city is shut up. 
It has walls all around it, and Jerusalem is surrounding it. Um, rather, uh, the Babylonian army is surrounding it. And um, it says, again in verse uh, 2, for then the king of, ba- of Babylon's army besieged uh, Jerusalem, and Jeremiah the prophet was shut up in the court of the prison. Now, this is not a particularly good sign. When your city is surrounded by the enemy and you have a man of God who is singularly faithful to the Lord, focused on the Lord, and that guy's in prison, this is not a good sign of things to come. He's been thrown in prison by the king, by the leaders of, of Jerusalem. It says, which was in the king's house, king of Judah's house. So there's a prison somewhere uh, in the palace. Verse 3, for Zedekiah, king of Judah, had shut him up for saying, rather, he shut him up saying, Why do you, Jeremiah, prophesy and say, thus says the Lord, behold, I will give this city into the hands of the king of Babylon, and he shall take it. And Zedekiah, king of Judah, shall not escape from the hand of the uh, Chaldeans, but shall surely be delivered into the hand of the king of Babylon, and shall speak with him face to face, and see him eye to eye. Then he shall lead Zedekiah to Babylon, and there he shall be until I visit him, says the Lord. Though you fight with the Chaldeans, you shall not succeed. So the king didn't like what he was hearing from Zedekiah. This is what happens sometimes when you tell the truth. Um, he, he's, he's telling him, again in verse uh, 3, look, this army is surrounding the city. Give up. God has said that it is his will for the Israelites to be disciplined, to be chastened, to go through a period of 70 years in which they will be disciplined and chastened uh, for you know, for the rebellion, really, of generations. He's going to limit it to 70 years, but just submit to it. The king doesn't like this. And, and then just to, to, to add to the sort of the painful prophecy, uh, Jeremiah not only said that, look, you, the king of Babylon is going to take the city. He's going to take you, Zedekiah. You're not going to escape. And you're going to speak to this guy, Nebuchadnezzar, face to face. And he's going to lead you. He's going to drag you back to Babylon. Verse 6. And Jeremiah said, the word of the Lord came to me saying. Actually, if I could just uh, back up for a while. We will read this more later in Jeremiah. But uh, Zedekiah did escape. He escaped through a wall uh, it, 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 he escaped through a wall, and he and his household fleed from the city, and he was captured there. He saw, as it says in verse 4, Nebuchadnezzar face to face, eye to eye. But then as verse 5 says, the prophecy did come true. He went to Babylon, it was an, and, and it was there that actually that his eyes were plucked out. Now, in Ezekiel, Ezekiel deals with that piece of the prophecy. Ezekiel says, 
Remember, Ezekiel, while Jeremiah is prophesying in Jerusalem, Ezekiel is with the many other Jews who had already been exiled uh, to Babylon, and he's prophesying to them in Babylon. He's telling them the same thing. He's saying, look, don't rebel, because there's people in, in both places, in Jerusalem and Babylon, saying, rebel, rebel, rebel against the king of Babylon. He's saying, no, this is part of this is Lord's will. There's a 70-year period. You get to cool out. And, and in Ezekiel, what you see is a prophecy that Zedekiah uh, will actually come to, to Babylon but he's not really going to see Babylon because his eyes will have been plucked out. So um, awful uh, judgment there, to be sure. Uh, anyway, it says in verse 6, And Jeremiah said, The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Behold, Hanimal, as opposed to animal, Hanimal, the son of Shalom, your uncle, apparently this is his cousin, will come to you saying, buy my field, which is in Anathoth. Now keep in mind, he's in prison. Jeremiah is in prison at this time. And the Lord's telling him, look, your cousin's going to show up, Hamel. He's going to show up. And he's going to ask you to buy a piece of property in Judah, his property. Verse 8, then Hamel, Hanimal, my uncle's son, came to me, so this is Je uh, Jeremiah speaking, in the court of the prison, according to the uh, word of the Lord, and said to me, please buy my field that is in Anathoth, which is in the country of Benjamin, for the right of inheritance is yours, and the redemption yours, buy it for yourself. Then I knew that this was the word of the Lord." So you're following this? First the Lord tells him, comes to him, and tells him this crazy, crazy thing. He says, your cousin's going to show up and he's going to want you to buy his land. And the next thing you know, Jeremiah is saying, then lo and behold, my cousin showed up. He's like trying to sell me his land. And, it, 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 and, and the Lord does, he has always and still does operate like this with his children, the still, small voice of the Lord. To me, one of the greatest privilege, privileges of being a child of God is you, that he, you can actually listen to the voice of the Lord. God tells you something. Sometimes it's to do something awfully strange, like buying a piece of land right at the time when you know, all the Jewish people are going to lose it to, to uh, Nebuchadnezzar. Keep in mind, the Babylonians were coming in and there would be no Jews owning any land. All of it would be occupied by the enemy. So he's told this crazy thing. This is, happens to us. That God tells you something to do. But then all of a sudden, you know, you think it's crazy. Then it shows up in a devotion that you're having with the Lord, wow, this is really freaky. And then, you know, one of your friends uh, comes and, and, and gives you what the Bible calls is a spiritual word of, of knowledge, you know, confirming it. You know, who, you know, who told you this? How did you know? And then you're listening on to, you know, on the radio that, uh, it, it, and it and confirms it on the radio, then at a Bible study, and then the Lord does it. And then you can say with firm conviction of your heart, yes, then I knew that this is the word of the Lord. It's a wonderful thing about being in Christ. 
you don't have to wonder whether you're in the will of God. Sometimes the will of God is waiting and hanging out right where you are, and you, doesn't ne you don't necessarily know the next step, but you never have to wonder where you are presently. Am I in the will of God? He will tell you. Verse 9, so I bought the field from Hanimal, the son of my uncle, who was in Anathoth, and weighed out to him the money, 17 shekels of silver. And I signed the deed and sealed it, took witnesses, and weighed the money on the scales. It's kind of interesting. This is like 2,700 years ago, 2,600 years ago, and they, st they still have deeds, and, and, you know, and they're exchanging deeds and sealing them just like they do today. Verse 11, I took the purchase deed, both that which was sealed according to the law and custom and that which was open, and I gave the purchase deed to Baruch, the son of Neriah, son of Mashiach, in the presence of Hanimal, my uncle's son, and in the presence of the witnesses who signed the purchase deed before all the Jews who sat in the court of the prison. So he did it. And the question for you this evening is when the Lord tells you to do something that is out of the ordinary, and then he confirms it, and then he confirms it again. Are you going to do it? You know, it's an amazing thing sometimes. We, we, we're so willing to declare what we believe, but then the Lord comes along and says, okay, now you've got to live what you believe, or you've got to live what I've told you to do, and then all of a sudden it's not so easy anymore. Oh, yeah, yeah, you mean I really have to do what you told me to do? Yeah. It's time to live by faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And so he, got, he does it, which is insane. The whole nation is about to be overrun by the enemy, and this guy's buying a piece of land. Verse 13, then I charge Baruch before them. So all of this is happening in a little courtroom, a makeshift courtroom inside of a prison. <laughs> and all these people like show up at this prison, the prison courtyard, and there are witnesses to, to this transaction. Go right into the prison. He buys it, purchases a, a piece of land. Then I charged Baruch before them, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Take these deeds, both this purchase deed, which is sealed, and this deed, which is open, and put them in an earthen vessel, in like a jar or a jug. So a deed is a... a, a a piece of paper or something like that, which is a record that you own a piece of property. And he's saying, put it in a jar that they may, la that they may last many days. So it's kind of like a time capsule thing. You put a message in a bottle, you throw it out in the ocean type of thing. That's what he's asked to do right here. Verse 15, for thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Houses and fields and vineyards shall be possessed again in this land. So what he's saying is, I know it looks like you just got ripped off. I know it looks like to the world, everyone's probably laughing at you for buying this piece of land. Your, your, your cousin thinks he, he pulled the wool over your eyes. I know you're probably thinking that again. But I'm telling you, Jeremiah... The, he, he says in verse 15, houses and fields and vineyards shall be possessed again in this land. In other words, this land will be possessed again by the Jews. 
And so this is definitely a long-term investment, but it's not a bad one. And verse 16, now when I delivered the purchase deed to Baruch, the son of Neriah, I prayed to the Lord saying, Oh, ah, Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and earth by your great power and outstretched arm. There is nothing too hard for you. So we sing a worship song from this verse. Thou, Lord God, thou hast made the heavens with, with, by thy great power. Nothing is too difficult for Right? That's it? You guys are looking at me like, please stop. But um, th- that is from Jeremiah 32, verse 17. And the beauty of this in verse 17 is that he's worshiping the Lord right after he's done this very, very difficult, crazy, crazy thing. God has asked him to do this thing. He's taking his money, and he's buying a piece of land, and he's not even going to own the land for 70 years. It makes no sense. By sight, in the natural, it makes no sense. The biggest army in the entire world is surrounding Jerusalem, is overrunning the whole land, and he's selling a piece of property? Crazy. And he's worshiping right in the middle of it. When people come up for prayer here at Calvary Chapel, so often, you know, when they're in a time of of deep, deep distress, you know, even if there's been a death in the family, whatever it is, cancer in their body, a divorce, get laid off, whatever, oftentimes my prayer is that they can become a worshiper in the midst of that time. I'm telling you, nothing will get you through a time of great affliction than just to worship the Lord and recognize that God's in control. It says in verse 17, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched hand arm. There is nothing too hard for you. And Lord, if you wanted this trial to come to me, or if you wanted to prevent it from coming to me, you could have, but it's here and I'm in it, and I just want to worship you for that. Verse 18, you show loving kindness to thousands and repay the iniquity of the fathers into the bosom of their children after them. The great, the mighty God, whose name is the Lord of hosts. This is powerful, guys. This is really powerful. He's worshiping the Lord. He's in prison. What do we do when we're imprisoned, whether it's a little literal prison or not, to get through it? We seek the Lord, ask him for grace to be able to worship him, and he will do it. He will do it. We were seen this morning right after the disciples so dismayed Filled with sorrow, Jesus told them that he was going to be killed. He says, well, how many of you, and, and so they're filled with sorrow. Any of you got, go on, want to pray about this up on the holy mountain? Just three of them took, them, <laughs> took his, his offer, and they went up, and wow, was that an antidote for their season of sorrow, seeing Jesus 
transfigured, metamorphosized before them, his face shining like the sun, his robes like a flash of lightning. And that's what happens here. He's just worshiping. I think, by the way, it's unclear. It, I think, I, I believe that he's doing this in the presence of everybody. All these rebellious, religious, rebellious Jews are right there watching him as he's worshiping here. Verse 20, you have set signs and wonders. Or rather, verse 19, you are great in counsel and mighty in work. For your eyes are open to all the ways of the sons of men to give everyone according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. And this is another key, key piece here. We're not going to be able to worship God if we're replaying in our mind over and over again, how are the people that brought me into this trial, how are they going to be repaid? What can I do to try to pay them back, to vindicate you know, he, he, rather than doing that, what is he doing here? He's leaving the judgment, the vengeance to the Lord. And he's just recognizing something that the Bible does say, that God will give everyone, to give everyone according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. You know, in, um, in uh, Romans chapter 14 verse 10 it says but why do you judge your brother why do you show contempt for your brother for we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ verse 12 so then each of us speaking of Christians shall give an account of himself to God now supremely what that account is of course is I don't have anything I can claim that I did other than believing in the blood of Christ. The Bible does talk about the great white throne judgment that, that um, unbelievers are, are subject to. And then it also talks about the, the, the judgment seat of Christ where um, believers go to, the Bema seat, where um, there will be rewards, but also there's an account there that must be given. Romans 2, chapter 2 says this, and do you think, this is verse 3 of chapter 2, and do you think this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, his forbearance and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance, but in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourselves wrath in the day of you're treasuring up for yourselves wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each one according to his deeds eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality, but to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil 
of the Jew first and also for the Greek. So you see there, there's a real judgment. And Jeremiah is aware of this. Rather than taking things into his own hand, and sometimes we do that just by replaying over and over in our own mind, how, if it's not me, hopefully this will happen to that person or this calamity will happen to them or hope this enterprise they're in will fail. No. Jeremiah here is just leaving the vindication to the Lord. He's saying in verse 19, you're great in counsel, mighty in work, for your eyes are open to all the ways of the sons of men. All these people who are mistreating me now, they got me in this prison. Your eyes are open to all of them to give everyone according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. Verse uh, 20, you have set signs and wonders in the land of Egypt to this day and in Israel among other men, and you have made yourself a name. It says he has made himself a name. And what name would that be? Well, verse 18, he's already said it. You show loving kindness to thousand and repay the iniquity of the fathers into the bosom of their children after them, the great, the mighty God, whose name is the Lord of hosts. So he's, he, he's been faithful to that name, uh, his name is faithfulness. His name is justice. His name is mercy. Verse 21, you have brought your people Israel out of the land of Egypt with signs and wonders, with a strong hand and an outstretched arm, and with great terror. You have given them this land of which you swore to their fathers to give them, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they came in and took possession of it, but they have not obeyed your voice or walked in your law. They have done nothing at all of, of all that you command them to do. Therefore, you have caused all this calamity to come upon them. Now, mind, mind you, it appears he's, he's praying to God like this in front of everybody. All these people are listening to this. Verse 24, look, the siege mounds. In other words, the, the siege, the, the sort of the battle and the artillery that is... Uh, um, the weaponry and the artillery that are outside of the city and all the soldier, soldiers. Look, the siege mounts, they have come to the city to take it, and the city has been given into the hand of the Chaldeans who fight against it because of the sword and famine of the, and pestilence. What you have spoken has happened. There you see it. In other words, Lord, you are seeing what you have already told me would happen. And the thing that's an encouragement to me here with Jeremiah, he's, he's telling these things, which is a hard, hard w word, and he's in jail for saying something just like this. He's in prison for saying a very similar message, but he's not stopping. Just because he's in prison, he is not stopping being faithful to the word of the Lord. He's just going right on. He's going, you know, real similar, just, just, just to the very end. I hope we're all like this. You know, um, someone asked me recently, do you ever plan on retiring? And I said, well, no, I just want to preach until I drop dead. Now, what, when am I going to stop, you know, go start taking Social Security or whatever? I guess that's another matter. But this is what he's doing. He, he literally is preaching to his death. Jeremiah is, is doing here. 
Verse 25, and you have said to me, O Lord God, buy the field for money and take witnesses, yet the city has been given into the hand of the Chaldeans. In other words, you just told me to do something crazy is, is what he's saying here. Verse 26, then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. So again, we talk about this a lot, particularly on Sunday nights. This is where we learn how to pray. Brothers and sisters, this is how we, where we learn how to pray here in the Old Testament. Listen to, you know, looking at the Psalms, Jeremiah speaking, and he's just, he has a complaint here. You've said to me, buy this field, yet the city has been given over into the hand of the enemy. He's being real with God. Does God ignore him? No. Verse 26, then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah saying, behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? In other words, is it too hard for me to bring the Israelites back here and, and to turn this really bad investment into a good one. Verse 28, Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, I will give this city into the hand of the Chaldeans, into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. He shall take it, and the Chaldeans who fight against the city shall come and set fire to the city and burn it with the houses of whose roofs they have offered incense to Baal and poured out drink offerings to other gods to provoke me to anger because the children of Israel and the children of Judah have done only evil before me and from their youth uh, for the children of Israel have provoked me only to anger with the work of their hands, says the Lord. For this city has been to me a provocation of my anger and my fury from the day that they built it even and to this day, so I will remove it from before my face. And he's saying in verse 30, look, he's saying all this was done before me, the middle of verse 30, right before me. In the United States of America, right before the Lord, we, you, you know, the people speaking the word of God and people declaring the word of God, more and more and more people are just insisting on the voice being muted, stopped. And again, you know, we were talking about this morning, then people begin to wonder and they, you know, we're talking this morning about the, the, the shooting at the theater in Colorado and, and, and they, they go out and they interview sociologists and, and they, you know, come up with all these uh, far-fetched theories. I'm just reading one here, this book about why these things happen, uh, this author, uh, is contending that what he calls these rage killing, they're acts of rebellion against a callous and uncaring society where the perpetrators of these crimes have been subjected to lives of humiliation and unreward, unrewarded sacrifice. This guy in Colorado grew up in an upper middle class home in San Diego. Doesn't sound like that to me. He, again, but for the grace of God go I. Go me. I have no doubt in my mind, but for the grace of God, we'd all be, you know, doing the same type of things. He says these rage killings picked up in the mid-80s as the economy was restructured in response to globalization. As individuals face continued social and economic diminishment, the Odyssean fantasy of setting the world right with violence is too difficult for some to resist. There's another explanation of why this thing happens. 
sin and rebellion against God. That's the reason that these things happen. Sin and rebellion against God. And here's what's the scariest thing. The solution that the world has for this. The solution that the world has for this kind of event only makes things unfathomably worse. Take kids, build up their self-esteem, have them identify their dreams, their own dreams, their selfish dreams, and have them go at their dreams with all their heart and all their mind and all their soul. Tell them your life is about self-fulfillment, self-gratification, self-satisfaction. You tell them about that. That's the solution. The so, and, 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 and again, if we feed, when we feed the self, the, the, the carnal man, and we feed it and we feed it, and it all becomes about self, we are, again, we're creating monsters. And that's the solution to the problem. No, the solution to the problem is the Lord. It's God. It's, it's going out and declaring boldly and without shame that God is real and you all, we all need to repent as a nation. And if people put us in prison, do what Jeremiah did and continue the exact same thing right in the prison, you know, in the prison cell. The same thing. This nation needs to repent. It needs to turn back to God. And quit sort of glorifying uh, a, a secular, humanistic solutions to all of uh, all of society's problems. Those are that that's a rejection of God, and rejection of God brings judgment. And and so, you know, this this is this is real, and the Lord is saying the exact same thing. Real timely word. We're in this evening, Jeremiah thirty-two. All these things that Judah has done have been done before me, right before my eyes. They've done it unashamedly. They're rejecting God. They've rejected God right before me. And it says in verse uh, 31, again, the city has been to me a provocation of my anger and my fury from the day that they built it even to this day, so I remove it from um, before my face. Because of all the evil of the children of Israel and the children of Judah, which they have done to provoke me to anger, they, their kings, their princes, their priests, their prophets, the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. So remember at the beginning of Jeremiah, we read that it was Jeremiah. God said, Jeremiah, it's going to be you against everybody. The princes, the prophets, the priests, the kings, everybody. And, 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 and it's society had reached that point, that they were all convinced that there were ways other than God. Verse 33, and they have turned to me the back. And they have turned to me the back. So rather than, we saw this morning in 2 Corinthians verse 13, we behold as in a mirror the face of Jesus when we're transformed into his likeness. Uh, You know, they turned their back. So rather than facing the mirror or the image of God or the face of, of Jehovah, it says they're showing their back to them. They have turned to me the back 
and not the faith, though I taught them, rising up early and teaching them, yet they have not listened to receive instruction. But they set their abominations in the house, which is called by my name, to defile it. And that's just in the verse 34. That's in the temple. Uh, Manasseh and others had just brought stuff right into the house of God, images of other gods and brought in other religions and just stuck them right inside the temple. He says, to defile it, verse 34, they built the high places of Baal, which are in the valley of the son of Hinnom, to cause their sons and their daughters to pass through the fire of Mo- uh, to Molech, which I did not command them. So Jeremiah, God is telling Jeremiah this, look, I know all these horrible things are happening, and I know that you hate seeing them. And I know, you know, Jeremiah, we've seen him weeping over all the destruction that is coming on his own land, but he's saying, remember that in the valley of the son of Hinnom, which is, I believe, south of Jerusalem, they caused their sons and daughters to pass through the fire of Moloch. They, they, they sacrificed their children to foreign gods. I can't, I'm a God of justice. I can't just stand back and do nothing. That's what the Lord is telling Jeremiah, which I did not command them, nor did it come into my mind that they should do this abomination to cause Judah to sin. Now, therefore, thus says the Lord, God of Israel, concerning the city of which you say, it shall be delivered into the hands of the king of Babylon by the sword, by the famine, and by the pestilence. Behold, I will gather them out of all the countries where I have driven them in my anger and in my fury and in great wrath, and I will bring them back to this place. I will cause them to dwell safely. So again, he's encouraging the prophet Jeremiah here. Ever think of, you know, you're out in the world and all that's around you is bad news. It's like there's no good news. Well, the Lord is saying, okay, Here's the immediate future, what's happening. But I have a plan for this people. It's to bring them back to dwell in safety. Verse 38, they shall be my people. I will be their God. Then I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever. The Bible says in 1 John, there's a fear that torments. It says perfect love casts out fear, but it casts out that fear. But there's a fear that torments. There's a fear of God which is unhealthy. There's also a fear of God that is healthy. And, and, and it's the lack of the fear of God, that the, of a healthy fear of God that led this, this nation so astray. I'm going to re, regather them here um, that they, verse 39 again, with one heart, one way, that they may fear me forever for the good of them and their children after them. For the good of them and their children after them. The solution in the United States of America to incidents like the one that we, that we just witnessed is for us to be instructing our kids in the word of God. It says that they will, with one heart and one way, they will fear me for the good of them and their children after them. And you know what's cool about this? Turn back one chapter. Remember, we were here last week. This, this, this proverb 
Remember, in this time of great decline in the land, there was a proverb in the land, verse 29, the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. And what, again, did we say about this last week? Everyone was blaming his dad. Everyone was blaming their mom or their grandparents or their, or their upbringing. And, 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 you know, our teeth are set on edge because our fathers were so messed up. They ate sour grapes. And the Lord is saying here in chapter 32, well, the time is going to come when, actually, actually, still in chapter 31, we, after that, we read that God said, I'm going to give you a new covenant. I'm going to do away with the old, which you guys could not, you did not have the ability to fall. I'm going to give you a new covenant. He says, I'm going to put my law in your minds and write it in your hearts. I will be their God. They shall be my people. He really continues the same thing here in chapter 32. And and he says, I'll give them one heart, one way that they may fear me for the good of them and their children after them. And I will make an everlasting covenant with them. The covenant, the old covenant, the covenant in the Old Testament was not an everlasting one. At least the covenant of the law wasn't. But the new covenant, remember in, Romans, in the book of Romans, we are the spirit, you know, we can claim these promises right here. The Bible says we've been grafted uh, in the vine where we are the spiritual Israel. And we believe also that the nation of Israel also has a plan in, 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 you know, in God's timeline. But we can take this and say, yeah, this is right. This is what has happened. And we can say, yes, he's given us an everlasting covenant. And he's, he's, he's given them, uh, uh, you know, the, this is the picture of the church. Now, this is not completely fulfilled until Jesus reigns as king in the Messianic age where Jesus says, I'm going to return. Uh, he promised that repeatedly, and I'm going to be king again. This is not, doesn't, it's not the complete fulfillment here, uh, at least as it pertains to Israel, until the, the Messianic age. But... Um, you know, we can rejoice that, that in Christ uh, we have received it. He says at the end of verse 40, I will put my fear in their hearts so that they will not depart from me. And supremely, this is what the mark of a true believer is. That the, the fear of the Lord, the Spirit of God is in their heart. And though they may backslide, though they may stumble, though they may go here and there, they always come back. It's like, oh, I messed up, Lord, oh. Because why? Because it's in their hearts. That's the beauty of the new covenant. It's in their hearts. That's what we saw in last chapter and in this one. And then verse 30, 41, yes, I will rejoice over them. And so this is a wonderful verse. It's a one that you can just write out and, and, and put up in your, the walls of your home. That God rejoices after, over you. He rejoices over you. Yes, it's important to have a healthy fear of the Lord. He, as we just read, he, he created the heavens and the earth, but he rejoices over you. He rejoices over you. Yes, this is God speaking. I will rejoice over them to, the, to do them good, to do them good. All things work together for good for, to those who love God or are called according to his purpose. And I will assuredly plant them in this land with all my heart and with all my soul. It's a strange thing to hear from the Lord. With all his heart and all his soul, he's going he's to reestablish Israel. But also speaking here, I believe, of the church, which is grafted uh, you know, into 
uh, into Israel. We're told in, in Romans for, for, verse 42, for thus says the Lord, just as I have brought all this great calamity on this people, so I will bring on them all the good that I have promised them and fields will be brought in this land of which you say it is desolate without man or beast. It has been given into the hand of the Chaldeans. So just Jeremiah just <laughs> he had just bought this field. It's going to be worthless real, uh, pretty soon. And, and the Lord's saying, again, fields will be bought here. Uh, verse 44, men will buy fields for money, sign deeds, seal them, take witnesses in the land of Benjamin and the places around Jerusalem and the cities of Judah and the cities of the mountains and the cities of the lowland and in the cities of the, of the south, for I will cause their captives to return, says the Lord. So there's an immediate term fulfillment here when they return and Jerusalem is fulfilled. There's even a long, but as we know, there's a long-term fulfillment when the new covenant in Christ is um, established, and then eventually, of course, when Jesus returns and he reigns, and we'll see the perfect fulfillment of this. So, praise God for that, and we will pick up next week in verse chapter 33.